Well, welcome to the Modern Law Revolution podcast, sponsored by the Colorado Bar Association. This is the podcast which features the successful and happy lawyers who are changing the practice of law in Colorado. I'm your co-host, J.P. Box. I'm a lawyer turned entrepreneur, consultant, and author, and currently serving as the chair of the CBA's Modern Law Practice Initiative. And I am the other co-host, Erica Holmes. I am the founder of E.L. Holmes Legal Solution, a modern law practice focusing on family law and attorney ethics and regulation. And I am the past past chair of the um, MLPI. So Erica, for those folks who are just discovering the Modern Law Revolution podcast, uh, what is modern law in a nutshell? What is this revolution all about? Uh, It's about uh, practicing law in a completely different way, um, recognizing that one size does not fit all. It is focusing on building a a thriving law practice, um, which enhances access to innovative, client-driven, and cost-effective legal services. Well, excellent. Well, today we'll be hearing from a panel of real-life modern lawyers, Um, and this is part two of our four-part series on uh, vision, in terms of what is the vision for ourselves as professionals, um, which is really what our focus will be today. Last episode, we kicked off this uh, vision journey of ours, focusing on the very real challenges from a financial point of view, from a public health point of view, for so many people throughout Colorado, throughout the United States, throughout the world during this pandemic. But we also stress that it can be a moment of reflection as well, a time to take a deep breath and to really focus, what do we want our own worlds to look like a month from now, three months from now, and eventually once we're all back together. This vision exercise is something that I did at a crossroads in my career where I went from practicing law to doing what all dissatisfied lawyers do, which is start a Marina Wall Kids Apparel Company. But one thing that really helped me um, actually came from a deli near where you grew up, Erica, uh, Zingerman's Deli in Michigan. And its founder talks about creating a vision statement. And a lot of businesses, a lot of lawyers will create a business plan, you know, modeling out where I want to be from a business point of view, what metrics I want to hit. But a vision plan is a little different. It's backwards looking. And so in in Ari's words, the founder of Zingerman's, he said it's the idea of beginning our work by first figuring out what we want success to look like at a particular point in the future, then working backwards to the present. And so- and his was obviously to create a sour cream coffee cake that is to die for, just saying. I know, and I am quite jealous that you went to Zingerman's before every sandwich cost $15. So you, you had it back in the good old days. Yes, when it was actually just a deli. Yes, now it's, now it's an institution across Michigan and they, you know, we, um, my wife's family in Michigan sends us care baskets during the holidays and we love Zingerman's. So, but again, it was a helpful exercise for me at a point in my career where I knew certain things weren't working well for me. And sometimes the easiest way of moving forward is to jump forward a couple of years and then work your way back. How am I going to get there? Let's turn to um, our wonderful panel of people that I don't even think we told listeners who are out there today, um, of other modern lawyers and um, people 
as part of this movement um, and what their stories have been in um, what caused them to find their, um, to change things and what their vision ended up being. All right, well, let's jump right in and introduce our amazing panelists. Um, the first is the co-founder of Lester Law. She's a modern lawyer who fo focuses on family law, uh, and she is the past chair of the Modern Law Practice Initiative. Welcome, Lauren Lester. Thank you, so happy to be here. Our next panelist is Kristen Bololin, who is the founder of KBN Council. She is a modern law uh, lawyer, also um, practicing with small business, and is new to Colorado. Hey there, Erica. Thanks for having me. Thank you for joining us. Our third panelist is James Marshall. He's the founder of Marshall Law in Alamosa, Colorado. He's a modern lawyer, and he's a general practitioner. Welcome, James. Hi, thanks for having me. And our um, final panelist, last but definitely not least, is um, Ryan Payton, who is the director of CAMP, the Colorado Attorney Mentoring Program, and who is amazing um, at helping people uh, find their professional identity. Hi, thanks for having me. It's great to be here. So we brought you four together because you all have very uplifting, unique experiences creating modern law practices, creating professional identities that work very well. And so we wanted to bring you together and start with a general question of what led you to create this unique vision for yourself as a professional? So as most journeys, uh, my personal journey to get to this place is not a straight line at all and actually started about 10 years ago now which is crazy to think about. Um, I was working as a project manager for a web development company and was just generally unhappy. I wore too many hats. I probably did two and a half full-time jobs. I was wearing thin and I just didn't see a future. It's not what I wanted to do forever. So I didn't know where to turn and late one night when everyone had left the office, I kind of sat at my desk and turned to the only tool that always worked well for me in general, which was Google. And I just Googled career options because I had no idea what to do um, and was just looking for some answers and took a career assessment, which told me I should be an attorney or a social worker. Uh, and being in my early 20s and looking at the average salary of social workers, they do saints work, but I was not doing that for the rest of my life. You so I said, oh, Trini, that does both, actually. Exactly. Yes, they have very similar roles. Um, and social workers deserve a lot more money for anyone who knows them. Uh, so I said, okay, I never thought I would be a lawyer. Lawyers seem to be kind of jerky, and I don't look like what they look like, and I don't really want to be super aggressive. And But I'll give it a try, because at that point, I was willing to try anything. Uh, so I went to law school. Uh, what I really loved about it, the more I thought about it, was that I always wanted to have my own business. I was tired of working for employers. I wanted to be agile. I wanted to do my own thing. I just don't work well under someone. Uh, so the law was a good opportunity to be able to do that and went to law school and worked full time during it. So it took me a minute. And when I got out and said I wanted to start my own firm, I, very much like Erica, it was kind of a let's try something and see what sticks to the wall. A lot of trial and error. 
And after a couple of years, um, it, it was better. Certainly I was in a much better position um, personally, but it still wasn't quite what I had vision, envisioned. Uh, I think because I had never really sat down and thought about the details of what it would look like, um, I was, felt like I was floating and I was doing okay, but it wasn't, I didn't have a direction. Uh, so about a year and a half ago, I did a similar visualization that you talked about JP and sort of thought, okay, what do I want my life to look like in 10 years? And what does that look like professionally and personally? And what are the details about that? Like what, how would my house look like and where would we go on vacations and what would those look like really specific? Um, and once I did that and kind of got the 10 year vision, I worked backwards to figure out, well, what do I have to do today? Um, Cause some of those goals were big and lofty and I was nowhere near starting them, but I could do little things today that would get me there. And also kept me really focused and um, intentional about the decisions I would make day to day in my business because I knew where I was going versus I hope this works out and we'll see in a couple of years. I didn't want to look back and think that I had wasted any time. I, I, I love that. Um, and it, it reminds me, you know, starting with Google, one of the most important days of my life was a day where I probably took my only first and only sick day during my six years practicing law. And I was driving to the office and, you know, especially now we should all stay away from work when we're sick. But back then I probably should not have worked through colds and other things, but I was driving to work and I was, you know, a sneezing mess and I did a U-turn, went back home and I spent the day Googling Merino wool fabric brokers and actually got in contact with somebody. And that was the first little step of going from, okay, I have this idea that I like to think about when I get stuck, but now, you know, it's a tiny bit real. And so, you know, never underestimating the power of Google to uh, set you on the right course is, is something that I definitely relate to. Yes. Those little moments that you never think of in the moment. I just thought, help me, someone tell me a direction. And that literally night that changed my, the tra trajectory of my life. It's really crazy when you look back on it. So Kristen, was it a sneeze or Google that got you to become a lawyer <laughs> or something else possibly? <laughs> I'm really not sure. It's been a while. <laughs> but um, so I guess uh, I did end up, I always thought I'd be a lawyer. It was one of those things that like everyone said, you'd be a good lawyer, but I didn't question it much. Um, so I did go that path and my first law job um, was working for a pretty big, um, very, very, very old law firm that I just kind of stumbled into out of law school and um, quickly knew it wasn't for me. And I love what you said, Erica, about trying to figure out if it was that you, if you loved the law or was the practice of law, because I think that's when I, I thought automatically, I hate the practice of law because I didn't like how it fit into this big firm. I didn't- You were in New York at this time, right? Sorry, yes, I was in New York. I went to law school in New York and then ended up at this the New York firm. And so after a few years as an associate, I worked in corporate um, department. And it wasn't really that I didn't like the work. I realize now it was the structure and the, the politics and the how we were not really serving clients in a way that I thought was uh, meaningful for me. And um, so I ended up uh, taking a couple different turns in terms of wanting to stay within legal because like you said, I, I, I instinctively felt that I loved 
the legal world. So I worked in um, sales and marketing for a couple of legal tech companies. Over time, I uh, started questioning, you know, what do I really want out of my career? I, I, for years, I wasn't feeling fulfilled. I ended up uh, having kind of a series of big life things, you know, I turned 40, uh, my dad passed away, and it just got me like really thinking, what do I want? Kind of like everyone's been talking about. And one of the things that was very influential for me was looking at my dad's career. He had worked for his whole life for big banks in sort of mid-level roles and did well enough, you know, supported us really well financially, but was not happy at all. He died before he got to retire. And that to me was like, wow, you might not get to retire and you might not, you don't know what you get or don't get. So what do I really want? And freedom became the biggest uh, factor for me. And I kind of, like Lauren has said, and Eric, everyone has kind of shared, worked backwards from that. And I kind of got uh, an aha moment as well about, well, maybe I actually like practicing law, just not the way it was presented to me. And uh, so I, and also went through a couple of years of deciding, do I want to stay in New York for the next phase of my life? So for me, it was kind of like, where I'm living and what I'm doing with my life was all sort of part of this big search and um, eventually made the decision to move out here. It's been almost three years um, and launched my firm, came back to law practice simultaneously and it's been great, but a, a long journey. So a big mix of figuring out almost what you don't want to do and what you don't want your vision to look like to figure out what you do want your vision to look like. Right. And the freedom piece being the most, you know, and, and just kind of, it's so great that we have, you know, by being on your own and there are so many different ways to practice law that I had no clue. And I would love other people to be aware of the happiness and freedom you can get in this field doing it your way. Yeah. Well, I love um, how it was just a, a concept that got you going. Um, it's not like, with your vision that you have to be able to name everything right off the bat and, um, and, and know exactly where you're going. It sounds like, you know, with freedom, that was just a feeling that you had. And from there you figured everything out. Let's, let's jump over to James. James, what, what led you to create you know, your professional vision for yourself? So it's kind of funny. I, I think I was one of these kids growing up that knew exactly what they wanted to do. Um, I was probably 10 years old saying, I'm going to be a lawyer. I'm going to run my own firm. Um, so went to, grew up in, in Cincinnati, went to Ohio State, went straight through from undergrad to law school out in Boulder. Um, that's what got me to Colorado. Um, I didn't know where I was going to go to law school. I just knew I had to go. I um, knew that was the next step. And uh, when I got to Colorado, I knew this was where I always wanted to be. Um, so. That happened and, and I knew growing up that I wanted to be a defense attorney. I had an uncle that was a defense attorney and I just saw the kind of good that you can do in, in the lives of struggling people as, as a defense attorney. And that's, you know, that's my primary focus being in a rural area. I do dabble in, in a bit of everything. Some people just know they need an attorney and my door's open. So, so I get a, a lot of, lot of things. But I knew I wanted to be a defender, uh, so right out of law school, I went with the Colorado Office of the State Public Defender. Um, I was down in Durango for about a year, and there wasn't like any day that, that I just broke, but it was 
I was realizing that I wasn't making the impact on my clients' lives that I wanted to, that I wasn't serving their cases um, to the extent that, that I should be just because of the real, the realistic expectations of what a public defender has to do and, and their caseload. And it varies jurisdiction to jurisdiction, but I just wasn't doing the work that I wanted to be doing. Um, and I wasn't happy with, with the system holding me back. So I always knew that I wanted my own firm. I always knew I wanted to run my own firm. Um, but I always thought that I'd be at the public defenders a little longer. Uh, about this time, a little, little bit before this time last year, I just realized the only thing holding me back was myself. And um, I heard about the Legal Entrepreneurs for Justice program, of which I'm a member of the first cohort. And the idea there was to increase access to justice, to, to fill the justice gap between people that get free legal services, but, but can't afford the market rates for an attorney. And, and I knew about that even back in law school, that you know people that are getting public defenders, they're very well served in Colorado, but you have to be so poor to get a free lawyer. And so all, all, everyone else has to go deep, deep, deep into debt to hire a lawyer or do it themselves. So those are the people that I wanted to help. Um, and I also knew there was a huge access to justice problem in rural Colorado. I'm not actually from a rural area. I'm from suburban Cincinnati. But I, I knew that there were places that just don't have quality lawyers, don't have many quality lawyers, and, and it's causing a huge issue in, in access to the courts and access to justice. So that's how I got here. I, I love how you started with that overarching mission of, you know, I saw that the good I could do as a defender and that that impetus to make whatever community you were in a better place drove your decisions. Sounds like from an early age. Sure. Yeah. I was probably 10 years old was when it, when it really formed in my mind that I was going to be a lawyer. You're, you're, you're one of the lucky ones. I, I did my early thirties <laughs> midlife crisis. You just had that vision from a get go. So good work. And the creativity to have your vision include a rural area. Um, I mean, it just shows how, again, like how broad um, visions can be. Um, they can take in any component. Um, so I applaud you for, uh, for doing something very different on, in that front. And I'll be fair. I think some of the, the draw towards rural Colorado is, is selfish because I moved from back east. You know, I had been in Cincinnati, Columbus. And I go to Denver and I'm like, well, there's mountains, but it's just another city. I moved to Colorado for the outdoors. So um, there is a, a selfish aspect, to be fair, to, to living up in the mountains and getting out all the time. And that's just, I knew that was something that I wanted as part of my life. Um, so I just made it happen. Well, see, I think selfish gets a bad rap. Like, so <laughs> you did something selfish and you end up like, serving this amazing community. So, you know, I, so... When you're creating your vision, don't be afraid to go selfish. Um, you can actually do great good that way. A happy lawyer is a better lawyer. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So, um, and so to get an even different perspective on things, um, let's turn it over to Miss Ryan um, and um, tell us your story and uh, especially your um, professional identity piece of that story. Sure. So unlike, I think, most of the other panelists, I consider myself an accidental lawyer. Uh, I went to law school to be an FBI agent. I never had any intention of practicing law, but as uh, most of you know, I'm not an FBI agent. So 
that didn't work out uh, like I like know. I planned. As far maybe yeah, a, well, a deep cover. Maybe I went to the CIA. You never know, but but that didn't work out the way I had uh, planned. So I ended up uh, actually going into litigation uh, when I graduated from law school because I thought, well, if I can't arrest people, I'll just argue with them all day, and that'll that'll be that'll be fine. Um, but it wasn't fine. I, I found that after about um, seven years of, of doing civil litigation that I was, I was burning out. Um, I just couldn't keep up with the pace of it. It wasn't a good fit for my personality. I didn't like arguing with people as much as I thought that I would. Uh, so I was just having some, you know, some mental health crises around that I was turning to, um, you know, not good ways of coping. I uh, was starting to make some unprofessional decisions and sort of had this uh, wake-up call where I, I realized I had to get out. Um, but I really struggled with how to get out because I was so locked into this concept of being a lawyer. I mean, I had worked so hard to uh, to go through law school, to pass the bar, and, you know, of course, my family was proud of me. Everyone knew me to be a lawyer. I was the first lawyer in the family, and so there's just a lot of um, a lot of identity that came around that title of being a lawyer. And so the thought of leaving the profession or leaving lawyering was really hard. And, and it was amazing to me how even in struggling with my own, you know, mental health around lawyering that I couldn't, I couldn't leave because I was so locked into this identity of being a lawyer. So um, because I wasn't really sure where to go or what to do, uh, I think unlike the other panelists, I didn't know how to really make a vision for myself. Um, and instead, I started thinking about, well, what am I good at? What are my skills? And that's where I, I, I started to spend some time thinking about this concept of professional identity. And there's been a lot of research around this in, 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 in lawyers and in how, you know, being a lawyer changes you and, 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 and informs your professional identity, which we can talk about later. But it really opened up a, a, a new world for me of thinking about, well, you know, who, who am I as a person? What are the skills and attributes that I bring to everything that I do in life, not just lawyering? You know, who am I when I sit on boards? Who am I as a parent? Who am I um, in relationship with others? And what are those skills that help me find success? And so by focusing on those skills, on the things that made me unique as an individual, I was then able to figure out how to move forward, how to jump into the next professional role. Um, and realize that, you know, being a lawyer is, is, is really, um, it, there's, a, there's a whole, you know, multifaceted aspect to it, that there are some people who are fantastic lawyers because they are fantastic practitioners, and there are others who are great lawyers because they take care of the profession. And that's where I ended up seeing myself as someone who could be a lawyer who took care of the profession and the people in it. And that felt super aligned with not only the skills that I brought uh, to the table, but also who I am as a person and ultimately how I could be successful. And so that's how I ended up making the jump from practicing law to, um, to getting into mentoring and uh, working with the courts to improve the profession overall. You talked about, you know, the feeling of, you know, kind of being stuck. How do I get out? Which is something, you know, I was terrified of when I was making a switch away from the law. How do you, you know, at camp help your mentees um, get over that fear when they're trying to create that professional identity for themselves, one that fits with their personality, one that fits with their talents? How do you get over that initial fear of, oh my gosh, can I really make this change? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's a hard thing to do. I think luckily for us at camp, the people who come to our program are usually those who are already in a 
in a space of being willing to make a change. And so it's always easier when you can come to this, this discussion or this, um, this process with a willingness to change. Um, it's much harder when you kind of, you're stuck and you're not willing to change and you're not willing to try different things. Um, it can be a much more difficult process. But um, at camp, you know, what we really try to do is focus on this concept of professional identity. And in, in one, educating folks on what professional identity really means, because for many, it's a concept that's brand new to them and they've never really thought through that before. Um, and so educating them on what professional identity means and how we can help each individual to really intersect who they are as an individual and who they were before they came into the profession with who they became when they entered the profession. Because what we know as it, from the research, like I was saying earlier, is you know, being a lawyer changes you. It changes your, your brain structure. It's, it's interesting to watch these studies that have looked at lawyers' brains over time and simply going to law school, studying for the LSAT actually changes your brain structure. And in changing your brain structure, it also changes how you process emotions, emotions like fear and anger and, and, and others. And so if we know that physiologically and psychologically we're changing when we become lawyers, we have to think about how that changed person is interacting with who we were when we started this process. Because we all come to the profession with our own lived experiences and values and beliefs and upbringings. And that doesn't just go away because we all went to law school. And so professional identity is really this melding of the two concepts together. And when you frame it that way, folks, it's sort of like a light bulb moment. People kind of wake up and say, oh, yeah, I'm still here. I'm still in here, even though, you know, I'm the, I have my lawyer hat on, but I'm still Ryan or I'm still JP or whoever, because um, you, those, 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 you know, you're, who you were doesn't go away. And so helping them to see that concept of really finding themselves, going back to themselves, um, brings a whole new level of willingness as well for, for making a change because it's, it's sort of like coming home in a sense in, in refinding yourself as a professional. I think that's a really great segue for perhaps a somewhat unfair question, but if each of you in a tweet-sized length could sum up, you know, what is your vision for yourself? What is your professional identity? Any takers? Well, I'm, I'm happy to, this is Ryan, I'm happy to share mine um, just because I share it all the time as, as an example for folks of, of how we move from that limited identity of, well, I'm a lawyer or I'm a family law attorney or I'm a bankruptcy lawyer to something broader. So um, mine is, uh, I expertly facilitate personal and organizational change through leadership in high stress and distress situations. I build unity from adversity and identify synergies facilitated by an acute appreciation of multiple stakeholder interests. I understand barriers to change and strategic solutions for eliminating them. I solve problems through a holistic and comprehensive approach to create lasting and valuable impact. And what I like about that is nowhere in there does it say I'm a lawyer um, and nowhere in there does it require me to be a lawyer to do any of those things. It's just a combination of the strengths that I see for, for me as, as an individual and as a professional that transcends every aspect of, of my work, whether it's in camp or through boards or through volunteers or as a parent, all of those things are true. And just to show how opposite people's vision or mission statement can possibly be, um, I will go ahead and share mine, um, which is be authentic, have fun, and let the awesome out. That's it. <laughs> and I uh, use that for my professional and my personal identity. I'm probably still figuring out the specifics and how this will come to be, but I almost sort of like that it's a little 
vague and can apply to several different things. Uh, but mine is probably to build a business that serves others and supports the life I want to live. I like that. I'll, I'll share what I wrote for um, our Merino wool business. So we are makers of Merino wool children's wear, but our vision does not end there. We will never be content merely to produce a good for consumption. We succeed when we capture the adventurous spirit of childhood through the natural goodness of Merino wool. For us to achieve our vision, Chase and Windmills must live by its values and prove profitability. Profits, however, are not the ends, but rather the means by which we share our vision and in turn inspire our supporters to pursue virtue, meaning, and happiness in their own lives. And so again, for us, it's, it's broader than we make really great long johns, which we do, but it's the, it's the mission that motivates us during the difficult times to push forward because we do believe in the underlying values that we're trying to build this brand upon. Um, pretty succinct, but, but my whole vision with my business is, is to be affordable and to be effective because when people are looking for a lawyer around here, they, they don't always know what they need, but, but they need it. They need, they need someone effective. They need someone that they can afford because the economic realities of the San Luis Valley are, are not, not Denver's. Our, our household income is about half of it, what it is up there. So, so the numbers I work with are just a lot different. Um, but I want to remain a resource to my community. That's the biggest thing is, is like Lauren, I, I want to serve. I want to help my clients. Um, but I need to always be effective, um, not just because they have a constitutional right to effective representation, but, but I also want to do that for people that aren't criminal defendants. I want to be effective in all my areas of practice and, and I have to stay affordable if I'm going to keep the doors open. So Kristen, you want to bring us on home or uh, do you want to? Sure. This is going to be off the cuff. I'm, it's going to force me to think more clearly about this, but in terms of my, um, my law practice, I really keep the focus on helping people create their perfect vision of their own business. You know, I just want to empower people to build their business in the way that they, um, they want. And I'm here to just give them the legal guidance and tools that they need. And I think it ties in with my own uh, need for freedom. I think a lot of people who start their own businesses are seeking that and looking to live their life really authentically. And so I feel really connected to them in that way. So vision for vision. I like that. So let's turn to uh, what is going on for you all currently um, in uh, face of the pandemic. Has it at all changed your vision, um, strengthened your vision, um, had any effect on it whatsoever? So my vision hasn't changed, but I think my resolve has doubled down in the pandemic. I have an office on Main Street and when I look down Main Street, I see a lot of businesses that are shuttered right now, and I don't know which ones are coming back. And I think the economic realities were already rough here, and, and it's going to get rougher. But the courts won't stop, justice won't stop, and, and I can't stop. So, so I think this has really driven me to think of ways that I can expand my practice, that I can expand my vision. I've, I've always wanted to incorporate something like holistic criminal defense into that aspect of my practice. And that's, you know, something like bringing on a staff social worker or contracting with someone. So I think this has been, you know, a time to trim the fat and, and, and make sure you're running a lean operation just because, you know, incomes are down. But, but I think there is 
opportunity for growth. And that's, I think, because I see need increasing in my community. Well, maybe you can hire Lauren for her third career as a social worker. <laughs> <laughs> Go ahead, Kristen. Yeah, I was just going to say, you know, it's been really um, eye-opening in many ways being a lawyer who serves small businesses during this time. Um, it's been heartbreaking and it's also been um, just really, really fulfilling in terms of, of the work that they need from me right now. And it's been also um, uh, a validation sort of of my, uh, what a lot of us do in terms of our, our cost structure and um, you know, I've done flat fees and tried to sort of also bridge that gap between business owners who can't afford, you know, the big firms or even medium-sized firms. And um, I've learned that, you know, in in providing a good work, a good service at an affordable rate that makes sense for people, you know, they come back. And even in this climate, um, I've struggled personally with like, oh, I don't really want to charge my clients, you know, to, well, we all need to get by, right? And it's, it's finding that balance where I can provide a service. They're not balking at my fees, I guess is what I'm saying, because I've in the past have helped them and given them fair rates and it works for everyone. And it's, um, for some reason, that lesson is really shining through for me right now. So the 10-year vision that I talked about earlier, I write down um, 10 goals or 10 dreams every day. And that's a muscle I've been building up for the last year and a half. Um, and quite honestly, when all of this started to happen, I got away from it. I just got distracted and it was very easy to get overwhelmed by sort of all the chaos going on. Um, but I'm really glad that I had that muscle to go back to because once I started to refocus on, okay, this is just a blip in the road. We're talking about a 10 year vision here, focus back on what that was. It really helped me recenter and sort of be able to quiet a lot of the noise that was going on um, and stay focused, like James said, to be more agile, cut the fat, be lean, um, see what I really wanted to do and use this as an opportunity to grow um, instead of trying, instead of feeling the enormous weight of everything that was going on, keeping focused on your vision, at least for me, really kind of helps me have a little bit of tunnel vision to get through this very difficult time. And Ryan, let me ask you, um, and you're welcome to jump in on that question as well, but um, I also want to focus with the work that you do with so many lawyers throughout our state. What resources are available through CAMP and otherwise for folks who are going through this process during a difficult, challenging time period of creating their professional identity, where can they turn? Yeah, so before I, I get into that, I just want to touch on, on the last question just a little bit on not, not how this has changed myself, but I think how it's changing the profession. You know, if anyone out there is listening right now and thinking, I need to make a change, I want to make a change, I just don't know how, this is a wonderful opportunity because the profession itself is having to change um, in everything that's going on. Um, you know, we cannot be robots anymore. Uh, you know, within the span of just a few weeks, suddenly the profession has had to deal with the fact that we are all also parents and caretakers and have, you know, very human needs and human lives that we live in addition to practicing law. And so I think some of the systemic uh, issues within the profession that create these opportunities, um, you know, for people to burn out and to be locked into positions and situations that aren't good fits for them. The door is open now because so many people are having to shift the way that they work and the way that they think about work and the practice of law. So this is a good opportunity to, to be doing this work 
um, if, if it's of interest to you. And so if you are thinking of doing this, um, mentoring is a key component in creating a vision or creating a professional identity. Of course, everything we've talked about today, each one of us, each one of us has done a lot of introspection and, um, and, and thinking internally about what we want and who we are. But you can't, you can't do this successfully just in a vacuum. You have to talk to other people. You have to talk to people who know you, people who've worked with you, people who have seen you at your best and seen you at your worst, because those people are gonna, going to be the ones who are able to highlight for you the skills uh, and attributes you've never thought about for yourself. They're gonna be able to look at you and say, here's how you do things differently. Here's what you bring to the practice that other people don't bring. And so um, whether that's in a formal mentoring relationship or an informal one, or just talking to the people that you know are in your co-working space or in your, in your office or your friends or colleagues, whoever you can bend their ear, bend it, because they're going to have such great information about you that you may never have noticed. And so um, engaging in those mentoring opportunities is, is absolutely key. Uh, through camp itself, we're always talking about professional identity. We have toolkits, we have seminars, we have uh, the things that you need to kind of walk through these steps in a meaningful way. Um, and so if you're looking for some, some facilitation in this process, a program like camp can be very helpful. I also wanna make a plug for COLAP, the Colorado Lawyers Assistance Program, because they have wonderful volunteers and mentors who can also help you through thinking around issues of professional identity, vision, goal setting, coming out of a difficult situation. So uh, this, the, the court has wonderful resources available to you and I highly suggest you take advantage of them. But even if you don't want to, talk to somebody, talk to somebody uh, close to you and get their perspective because it's, it, it can only help you in thinking about where you're going and who you wanna be when you get there. I'm gonna add one more resource to that. Call Ryan. <laughs> she, will, she is amazing at helping you figure out things that you didn't even know that you were wondering about. Um, and she is, she'll talk to anybody and it is going to, um, every minute you spend with her is invaluable. So um, if all else fails, just call Ryan. <laughs> Thanks, Erica. <laughs> yes, I am happy to talk to anybody. I spent half my time just sitting down and having coffee with people who want to talk about what's going on for them in the profession. And I'm glad to do that for anybody who, who just needs a friend or, or a, a colleague to speak to. I want to do a plug for camp as well. I love my mentor through the camp program. Uh, he's been practicing law about as, about as long as I've been alive and he's a wonderful resource. I call him just about every week and he's really helped me grow in my, in my practice and, and as a lawyer. So, so camp is a wonderful program. Just wanted to throw that in there. Thanks James. I'll send you your check later. Can we all get one of those if we plug camp today? <laughs> Absolutely. Excellent. A any other resources from our panelists? Because I, I think that is so important because I, you know, I joke that I went through my early midlife crisis in my early thirties, but I did so much of it inside my own head. And so being able to talk to somebody, think through things out loud is incredibly valuable. So any other resources out there that you all would recommend? If you are like me and a bit of an introvert um, and connecting with people is sometimes difficult to do because you don't know where to start, uh, we have started a network of folks who sort of have this similar mentality. So if that's more comfortable is to sort of join us online and then reach out to individual folks. Um, I welcome anyone to do that. So you can join um, our national network of lawyers who are just trying to build lives or businesses around lives that they love or practices around lives that they love. And you can join it on purpose 
legalnetwork.com. It's free to join and you may find some new friends in there who, like Ryan said, you can chat with and bend their ear about um, because they have the same mentality and are most likely going through the same things. And it, it, is, it is a vibrant online community that I've enjoyed being a part of this past couple of months. So encourage folks to do that. And I will look for that check as well. Well, let's not forget the Modern Law Practice Initiative, um, which you can be part of the monthly meetings that are kind of the vision for all of MLPI, or you can be part of the Modern Lawyer Lunch, um, which is more of a networking and hearing about other people's visions, your visions, ups, downs, and everything in between, um, and of the online community that we have also through the CBA with MLPI. Well, before we release our panel to the uh, work-life blend that they're experiencing right now, um, I just wanted to uh, ask each of you if somebody's listening who wants to continue the conversation, wants to reach out to you, has questions, what's the best way to contact you all? For the Colorado Attorney Mentoring Program, uh, our website is coloradomentoring.org, and you can find my email address and my phone number on that website, and please feel free to reach out to me uh, through there, or uh, you can actually uh, sign up uh, to get a mentor as well through the website, coloradomentoring.org. Uh, people want to reach me. It's, it's james at sanluisvalleydefender.com. Folks can connect with me um, through the network at onpurposelegalnetwork.com, or if they want to reach out directly, lauren, L-A-U-R-E-N, at mylifelawyer.com. And I'll, I'll throw my, myself in the ring too. Kristen, K-R-I-S-T-E-N at knbcouncil.com. So um, we mentioned at the very beginning that this is part two of a four-part series. So to give everyone their homework assignment for the next uh, uh, piece of the series, um, which is your vision for your clients. Um, we've got a couple of questions that we want to leave everyone with. Um, you want to jump in there on those, JP? Sure. Um, the first is, what are my clients asking for? So just attuning our ears to um, what the public needs, how we can better serve our clients. Um, the second is, what's new that I need to know? What am I afraid my clients will ask me? What problems will my clients face? What are the solutions? And uh, the last is, how do I make this unusual time period living through this pandemic better for our clients? Um, and so hopefully getting our listenership, starting to think about those questions, those topics, and seeing how we can better tailor the practice of law to help more folks, especially during this um, unusual, unnerving time period. So we want to thank everyone for our panelists, for sure, for joining us and sharing everything uh, that they have and giving people a lot of things to um, different ways of looking at things uh, and um, hopefully developing their visions for self till next time uh, when we start looking at visions of clients. Thank you to our amazing panelists for bringing these concepts to life. And thank you to everyone who joined us today on the Modern Law Revolution Podcast.